For all the bravado that still tumbles out, like old times, this old maverick is modulated, moderated, and even humbled. By his own admission, Ford is a changed man for changed times. Before they knew my name, he said, they didn't know me personally. I think people had an opportunity to really see me now, especially over the man I've become in the last couple years, and I think people really like that. Now, that disgusting couple of paragraphs, Krista, by the way, this is Left Turn Canada podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 by the way, hey, Canada. how's it going? Yeah, guys? Yeah, yeah, by the way. That yeah. was on the front page, folks, of the... Not of the Toronto Sun. Not the Toronto Sun, the or Toronto the millennial. Oh, yeah. man. I, what, what do you think? Because I, again, I had to look through this to try to find I mean, I remember the good old days when the Toronto Star was like an unabashed liberal rag, yeah. right? What's and happening? like you know, they have, I know they're under new ownership, but they're really like, they're really leaning into like, uh, you know this this idea that like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna be, I guess, nice to Ford, yeah. and you can't really tell because like it's not just like, like yeah, the article is a puff piece, but if you it's like the front page, which you know a lot of people will see just you know as they walk through you know, a downtown or the city yeah. or whatever. Millions of papers. It's just really great picture of Doug Ford. It's like the evolution of Ford. In an exclusive interview, Tory leader discusses how governing has changed him. He's like signing a t-shirt like he's some sort of celebrity. Mm-hmm. It's like what you would pay for. It's like, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting they did, but it's like if you were going to buy like an advertorial, yeah. like that's what you would get, at oh, least in Christo, terms of the front page. I read through a lot of it and yeah. I could not, but like there's so, it's not a, about his policy ever. It's no. about uh, Martin, one of my, Martin Cohen, I think is his name, one of my most hated Toronto Star uh, opinion columnists. Real yeah, terrible. Yeah, Con, yeah, yeah. He's deeply anti NDP. Yeah, his last article yeah. was about why, you know, Andrew Horvath uh, was viral for all the wrong reasons. That's the last thing he wrote for them. Yeah. But anyway, he's just so giddy to be with Ford and seeing how people love him and how he's a real everyman and and how it's cool that even though he has all these minders and people trying to tell him what to do that he has this maverick spirit I, or the word maverick yeah. appears like five times because he's campaigning in Del Duca's district trying to you know make sure he doesn't have a seat there and it's just yeah. like it, it is exactly what you said it's it's like something you pay for like it almost reminds me of of like the old Simpsons like hi I'm Troy McClure like it really does feel like you're just sitting down close to this politician showing you your best side and it's just it's a little sickening but I think it's going to turn heads because after the debate what was one of the big things that you and I talked about is that how Ford seemed to because no one was fucking up come yep. out on top and we're going to talk about that that soon I know we got some polling on it but I have yeah. to think this will just reinforce that idea that it's okay to look at Ford as not the evil monster whose decisions led to the deaths yeah. of thousands in this province. Yeah. And it's like a man who maybe you didn't agree with four years ago, but mm-hmm. like he's changed and that's the idea. It's like the one thing that you could get to like somebody who maybe voted Ford last time because they were just very angry at Wynn. And now they're like, well, I don't know now. That's exactly the kind of piece the conservatives would want yeah. for like an undecided hypothetical Ford swing voter. It's exactly what you would want, and it's not coming from the Toronto Sun or the National Post or even the Globe and Mail. It's coming from ostensibly the most progressive major newspaper in the country. Yeah. Right. Like you, there's no left wing newspapers like uh, yeah. national newspapers in this country. There's none. There's mm-hmm. none. Not even. Close. Uh, but if there was one that was the closest, it was probably the Star, at least historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's basically 
you know, uh, as glowing a piece as Ford could ever hope for in any source. Let it's kind of gross, too, because wasn't this eight, week as well yeah. the same time where uh, the global reporter Sean O'Shea was following him down and tracking him down and saying, like, yeah. you know, you got to answer for it. What was that about again? I don't have it in front of me. Do you remember? Well, it's just in general. Yeah. I mean, like, Ford has been avoiding you know, actual discourse. I mean, whether it's at the debate, he insisted on being able to bring his binder, whereas the other leaders, I believe all three, the Green Liberal and NDP, were all very much, um, you know, we, we, you know, we don't need binders. We, we know our own platforms. We should be able to speak more, more candidly with the people. Um, and the biggest thing in recent weeks, the last couple weeks, uh, and this has been a trend, not in every riding, of course, but in, in many, where conservatives are just not showing up for debates. Mm-hmm. They're not giving media interviews. They're not talking to the press. They're not showing up to debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, largely because, and I think this is probably accurate on the on the mathematics side, is that they're winning. When you're winning, like you yeah. don't want to score any own goals. <laughs> so, like, you know what I mean? Like and if you feel like if you feel realistically, any any hit you take from not speaking to the media is smaller than the hit you would take from saying the wrong thing to the media. And if your opponents really don't have any way to score points on you, um, if you don't respond to their criticism, Mm -hmm. then you'll just avoid debates. Right. And that's what we've seen in a lot of cases. And so both the NDP and the liberals and greens have pointed out, um, you know, uh, for like uh, PC candidates in many ridings just aren't showing up to any debates. Mm hmm. And they'll say, oh, it's because we want to meet with the voters. The debates aren't as important, blah, blah, blah. But really, it's because they don't want any moment that could be used by the opposition to expose their policies and their failures. Um, and any moment that could, quote unquote, go viral, that would that would endanger the lead they have. Yeah. And so in districts where the conservatives feel, ridings where they feel they're safe, that they're comfortable... They're skipping debates and Ford in some ways has done the same thing where he's been, you know, even more than usual, sort of unavailable to media where at least some feel they have to kind of corner him to get to talk to him because Ford thinks. And again, the data appears to be proving him correct that he's winning. (laughs) He's winning quite comfortably. Um, You know, we're like, what is it like a week and a half away from the election basically right now? I think it's June 2nd is the election. Yeah, so we're week and just, a couple days, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're like a less than a week and a half away. We're like nine days away from the election. Um, fundamentally, like, he's probably like, unless I fuck up, mm-hmm. like literally only me fucking up <laughs> could change this. And he does and fuck so up. If, like, he does, like, that's a possibility. He does, exactly. And his people fuck up too. So he's yeah. probably thinking to himself, if I just run from the media or only give them interviews under these very particular contexts where they're gonna you know at least at the very most very worst you know give me kind of like neutral criticism then um i'm i'm just gonna hide yeah why not (laughs) there's a reason this guy was never in the legislature right (laughs) yeah right Oh man! So I just while we're talking, and the lesson is it fucking worked for him it worked it it, worked it might continue to work we we don't know like who knows any i guess things can change in nine days but Ford's winning guy right now, guys. Mm-hmm. Like Ford is winning right now. This is the most boring election we've had <laughs> in Canada in a long time. Yeah. In the sense where it was very clear who was going to win. I know in the last federal election, the polls were very consistent and sort of the whole way through Justin Trudeau is sitting in a minority 
And it was going to be a question of, like, is it a strong minority, a weak minority, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, that that's true. But, you know, he was only ever a couple points one way or the other from, like, a big shift. Mm-hmm. He dropped a couple points to the conservatives and maybe he ends up losing 15 seats. And then, you know, the NDP has much more power, right? Or he ends up beating his polls by two or three points. He can end up with a majority, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only election I think that that we're coming up to that's going to be as as is maybe the Quebec one, right? The upcoming mm-hmm. Quebec election where the the CAQ is 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 very dominant, and in many ways the election is more about the side narratives: who finishes second, what are the future of the opposition parties? Yeah, that's what we're looking at right now. And unless things change, unless there's a big polling miss, it's re- like Ford is almost certainly going to win the most seats. Like. 99% plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very likely, probably 98, 97% that he's going to win a majority at this point, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and yeah, that's why he's hiding. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and it is a little upsetting to hear you you say that now, because if you think about, and I, I don't want to be a broken record because we do talk about this on the show a lot, but we, we started this show kind of right in the midst when Ford was doing some of the worst things to Ontarians during the pandemic, where the choices that were made on long-term care centers was killing people in droves, where there was a refusal to close down the manufacturing sectors and give them the needed PPE that was needed, almost assuredly because there was someone talking to Ford saying, no, you can't do that, that led to calamity in my hometown and people dying in droves. And it seemed like it would be impossible that he would ever win again, let alone secure another majority. And I know we talked about how uh, there were some polling suggesting what people actually care about. And there is a bit of a fatigue of caring about what happened during the pandemic. And of course, it's still going on. We always got to mention that people are still dying. People are still getting infected. But yeah. I just cannot believe that we haven't seen either party, the liberals or either major party, the liberals or the NDP, able to capture more of that outrage for a premier that fucked up so badly yep. during that time that it would almost seem like it should be a cakewalk. But I have to say, yeah. I have not seen that. It's kind of been just like a boring, typical election, not yeah. party leaders uh, responding to someone making such astronomical mistakes. And there's so many conservatives yeah. in, and liberals and, and NDP uh, leaders in this country that make terrible mistakes. But there are a fewer that make so many mistakes that lead directly to people dying and their lives yeah. being so demonstrably worse. Like it almost feels like they're gaming on us a bit. It's like when Obama made like drone jokes or something like that. At this yeah. Point. Like, I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean with Ford, I mean, like we have to be clear about one thing. We've talked about this the whole time going back to when we first started the show, Ford was always leading. Like we mm-hmm. have to remember that. And so, People shouldn't be shocked that he's still... We've always talked about it in the context of, you know, at any point now, he could stop leading, right? Like, you know, everyone... You know, there were a couple isolated polls, you know, early this year, late last year, where maybe the Ontario Liberals and the Ontario Conservatives were tied. But on the whole, the polling average has been remarkably consistent. Ford has been winning for the entire four years, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so... You know, it's more of a case of like all of that can be acknowledged and enough of the people in Ontario don't give a fuck. 
right? Enough yeah. don't care. They just don't care. Or they don't care enough. Maybe they're mad at Ford because of this COVID performance. But they, they like him on enough other things or they hate the other parties more that they don't care. That's mm -hmm. where we're at. And so, again, if you look like... Uh, we pulled these up just a couple hours before we recorded, but the, some of the latest polling averages, you know, Ford is winning. And guys, Ford is winning so significant. He's winning by more than he did last time. Yeah. In, in one of the polls. And like percentages don't matter as much, um, you know, uh, vote percentages because seats are what matter in, in, in the Westminster system. But, you know, on 338's model, which was updated late last night, I think there's only been one poll since and I don't think it'll change it all that much. Um, yeah, 81 conservative seats, 23 ONDP, 19 liberal, meaning the liberals are getting 12 seats. The NDP minus 17, Ooh. the conservatives plus five, meaning all Del Duca has achieved is making five more conservative MPs. <laughs> and, and so the NDP is losing 17 seats. Yeah. They're the only party losing seats. The Greens stay static at one at this estimate. Although, and I don't know if I'll have too much time to talk about this, we're definitely going to keep an eye on Perry Sound Muskoka because some of the polling indicates that might be more competitive uh, than we thought. Mm. Uh, and so the Greens could win too, which would be nice, I think. Like, you know, it'll take a seat away from Ford. The Green Party, you know, has they've had a good campaign. They deserve yeah, a second seat. Well. But, you know, um, but, you know right now the projection is still one. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that's still a bit of an outlier. They'll probably be a little lucky if they win that one. And so uh, the NDP is losing five, uh, 12 of their 17 seats to the Liberals and the other five to Ford, meaning that the Ford majority will be bigger this time than it was last time. Uh, last time, if you recall, the NDP had about 40 seats, meaning that they were only about 20-some behind the Conservatives. Now it'll be almost 60 seats between first and second. The NDP remaining in second. The NDP um, still remaining in second, though, right? Yeah, yeah. in that poll, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 in the poll, uh, in that, in that aggregate, the poll tracker yeah. from the CBC, less good for the conservatives, but a similar scenario, uh, 73 seats for the conservatives, 10 more than they need for a majority. A majority, uh, clicks in at 63, 27 NDP, 23 liberal, one green. So the NDP and the liberals both do better there, but fundamentally it's the same thing. Um, the, the, you know, the difference here, me being that four doesn't really gain anything. It's mostly like the NDP shed seats back to the liberals, mm -hmm. but um, Ford stays mostly the same. And that's where we're at. And I mean, this connects to the debate as well. Like we don't want to rehash the debate too much, but uh, a couple things kind of broken because there were some polls done specifically on the debate by Abacus and other sources that um, one, Horwath did better on the debate than the narrative suggests. The narrative suggested that she lost the debate was the worst when, in fact, according to Abacus polling, she finished second. Del Duca won. And what they did is they said, um, did you have a positive or negative performance of the debate? And they netted the results. Del Duca won plus 29. Uh, Horwath right behind her plus 26. Well, mm. him, excuse me. Ford in third at plus 20. And then uh, Del Duca way back actually at plus 13. But every leader actually had a positive impact. Everybody looked good on the debate. And Andrea was the best by far of the major party leaders. Mm -hmm. But this is what's critical is that one, that wasn't the narrative we got from Twitter and from most mainstream media. But this is the key instance. Leaders debate performance among those who watched or heard about the debate. Um, who had done more to win your vote or lose your vote right in the debate? Like, did they do something to win your vote or to lose your vote? Mm -hmm. No leader 
was more or less than plus two or three. So on wow. this one, weird as it is, that Horoth did good in the debate, but she's minus two. Del Duca minus one. Shriner plus two. Wow. Four plus three. That kind of makes Meaning, sense, Krista. Like, that kind of yeah. tracks. I, f- I understand it. But what this says is, no one moved more than three points yeah. up or down on the debate performance. So Ford won the debate in that sense. He had the most negative performance, I suppose, but if, if in terms of, like, did he do more to win new votes, you might say on that basis he did. But we're talking about, at most, a three-point movement between mm-hmm. the parties. And so... If you're not talking about a close election and Ford had a big lead, that debate didn't move. That debate didn't move anything. Yeah. Interesting. So it is. It is interesting to think about when you talk about uh, Horvath's um, real accomplishment as a, a debater there and being uh, well aware of her uh, platform and the platform that's been developed for so long has been doing this for so long. Yeah, absolutely. She did a great job, but that key metric that you mentioned of actually doing something or saying something that would gain new voters or do something. Yeah. For no one vote. did that. But no I, I really, that. and I, I think that is maybe the key yeah. here that yeah. this was an opportunity for these leaders. And again, there is, you know, nine, but 10 who days knows? Left. But here's the thing we have to be, <laughs> Yeah. Was it an opportunity? We have to deal you with don't the think potential reality okay. that not enough... Look, that's among people that watched the debate. Yeah, true enough. How many people watched it? And then how many people were set in? We have to remember this. We also have to remember that, like, like look, I'm going to say this because I probably never will run for office. <laughs> Sometimes the voters are wrong. Maybe that sounds like I'm a, poor, uh, a sore NDP partisan. I'm a sore <laughs> loser. But the issues people care about are the issues that the NDP run on. Mm-hmm. And the NDP has solutions on. And they're generally supportive of those. And despite all of that, they just won't vote for the NDP. And so at some point, you have to wonder, like, what can you do? And I think that definitely there could have been a better debate performance. But as we saw, there ha- like, no one moved any significant numbers. Yeah, I don't debate. necessarily think Nothing there could happened. have been a better debate performance from what we're seeing. Like, they, Oh, of course there like, could have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. but like how much, like, what, what what difference would that have made? Almost, yeah. pr- in this year, at least, nothing. Mm-hmm. Like last time, or in that first debate, Andrea Horwath came out, sliced and diced Kathleen Wynn, mm-hmm. changed the whole course of the election. Ultimately, Horwath didn't win, of course, unfortunately, but she very clearly used that debate uh, in combination with some broader trends that Wynn was very unpopular, Horath was very popular, the Liberals were kind of sort of downsliding, seized on that debate to kind of confirm the trend and clearly at that point rapidly moved into second. Yeah. And then very quickly in that election, it became a two-horse race, right, between Ford and, 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 and Horath. Um, this election, whether it's that people aren't paying attention as much or whether... Like, the trends weren't moving in such a direction that the debate couldn't exacerbate them. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But right now, that's what we're looking at. Ford is winning right now. Like, I'm not saying it's over. I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to disprove. Ford is winning right now. There is no evidence that he is not winning. And there's no evidence right now that he's not winning a a hefty majority right now. Man, so it the, does. The, it, the real thing right now is who is gonna finish second. Mm-hmm. That's the act. That's the only thing. Like you might not think it matters, right? Like reasonably <laughs> so, but like that's the thing to watch for election night. That's the story. How big is the Ford victory? Who finishes second? 
Does Del Duca win his seat? Because it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Do the Greens win two seats? Those are like the narratives to watch. No point in caring about who went like like about right now. Ford's gonna win. Yeah, it wouldn't like right matter. Now. There's like, nothing. They'll they come can back do, next dude. week at this time. Yeah, but like Ford's gonna win. Like people have to get ready for that reality. Um, you know, yeah, you could talk about vote splitting, blah blah blah. But we got to remember this and like look, the Liberals. We we talked a bit about this. The Liberals released. Uh, leaked a, a internal poll which shows that if they can only pull five votes, five percent from the NDP, they could be competitive to reduce four to a minority. But I've said this every week for at least the last two weeks. The Liberal Party isn't wrestling with a fundamental reality. Mm-hmm. Right now, the NDP in most polls is either at or below what they were in 2014. Within two or th- within one point above 2014 to three or four below. Mm-hmm. In that election, win won a majority. So the liberals can't complain and they can't realistically say, we need the NDP voters to come to us to win a majority in 2022 when you already proved that when the NDP is at 21, 22, 23 points, you can win a majority over the conservatives. The reason they're losing right now is because the liberals lost all those people to the conservatives in 2018 and haven't gotten back. They've actually gotten back pretty much all of the voters they lost to the NDP. Right? Mm. All of those people have gone back. That's why the NDP has gone from like the low 30s to the low 20s. They've lost yeah. that 10% of the vote that went from liberal to NDP, from red to orange, and now they're mostly back to red. Right? Interesting. So I, I yeah. do, it, just putting this all together, like it, yeah. it, it is interesting to look at and think about what this means for the NDP as a whole. Because like you just said there, you just put the exclamation point on it. The liberal voters that were once voted NDP are now likely, from what we're seeing, are going to go right back to liberal uh, party. At least for the most part. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Yeah. So that that understanding is, even when they had this sort of policy, the question then is, is that because the NDP platform, and again, we're, we're doing some projecting here, but perhaps it wasn't like centrist enough, or was it simply because there is some, you know, callous liberals that just want to be on a side that thinks they can win? Like, is it just the strategic voting margin? Because I, I, I got to think that if the NDP finishes second, this is the end of Andrea Horvath as party leader. Oh, yeah. 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 She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we can't know right now. We can't yeah. know. Um, the NDP platform is pretty progressive. Uh, I don't think it's substantively different from the last time. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that last time the NDP's platform was significantly more progressive than 2014. Mm. Uh, and, and and they were still able to convert liberal voters. I think these liberal voters were, were at least the, the half that switched to the NDP uh, were, were, were doing it strategically. At least maybe, maybe they were, or maybe they, uh, or maybe they, maybe they're normally strategic voters and, uh, and, you know, they like the NDP and that was their election where they felt they had the excuse to vote for the NDP. Mm. And now they feel like they have to go back to voting liberal. But um, I don't know if it's about ideology as much. Yeah, because right? I, I don't I, think that's the main I, issue. I'm wondering if it actually if like it, it's very disconcerting because in this election, the feeling of ideology and you know, that moral principle that we kind of want our politicians to upheld with all the polling and the numbers and the changes, if you look at these patterns through the elections, doesn't seem to make any well, sort of yeah. real impact. I mean, the ideological positions are popular. If you look at the polling yeah. on the issues people care about and the solutions they want, the NDP positions are by and large popular. Nonetheless, 
people are voting for the conservatives and the liberals before the NDP. Although the NDP might finish second in seats. But no, yeah. I mean, look, that's, that's a million like, dollar question, though. Like, why is that yeah. not translating them? Because like you said, they are popular. They I think a lot of people listening think they're the bare minimum of progressivism. So it's even yeah. more depressing that yeah, you know, yeah, they're not running on anything outside of the mainstream. It's a fair it's still in, in broad terms, a fairly, you know, cautious platform. Yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of it's strategy. I think a lot of people, maybe they don't trust the NDP to do it. Uh, I think a lot of people maybe like those ideas, but they also uh, want things from the conservatives. I think some of those liberal voters uh, said, you know, I'm voting strategically. And at this point, the liberals are higher in the polls than the NDP. And they have been over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go with them. But uh, who knows? Right now, yeah, like... We're looking at a scenario where both the liberal and the NDP leaders could be done. I mean, Andrea, like Andrea's done in most contexts. Yeah. Like if they, the, here's where she could stay on. Obviously, if the NDP storm out of nowhere and they win a majority government, Andrea will be premier for the next four years. Absolutely. Maybe more. Yeah. She might stick, who knows? Forever. But at least for the next four years, she's going to be premier. Um, if the NDP finishes second in a, a, you know, but in a minority situation, she'll at the very least stay on for the interim to try to make a deal to make herself premier. Whether the liberals will do that or not is remains remains to be seen. We've talked about how we're skeptical Very of that. Unlikely, yeah. Especially if with this internal memo. Yeah, like that almost, seems... <laughs> yeah, almost any other position, she's done. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think the other, the, the only other alternative is that, you know, uh, conservatives first in a minority and the liberals and the NDP and Greens can form a very, very slim governing coalition. Like, mm -hmm. you're not necessarily a coalition government, but you know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. like say the liberals finish second, and then plus the NDP, plus the Greens, who are not part of the government but are willing to, like, make a supply and confidence deal, maybe they're only one or two seats above a majority. If that's the case, Andrea obviously probably can't retire as an MP. Yeah, um, she's needed. You know, yeah, maybe she might be needed. I mean, uh, yeah. the seat's pretty safely orange, mm -hmm. but still, Doug Ford could wait six months to call the by-election, and in that time, the, you know, the government could lose its footing, blah, blah, blah. Like, she might not be able to retire in the interim. And it might also be the case that, you know, as a leader, if, like, you don't want to put the party through this period of flux when the government could fall at any day. Like, mm -hmm. somebody getting stuck in traffic could cause an election. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that, that we're talking about that, right? Somebody... Getting sick could cause an election, right? Somebody falling down the stairs at Queens Park and breaking <laughs> an ankle could cause an election, right? Yeah. So we don't know that. Con that's the other context. But but more more likely than not, she's done. And even if the election and she picked, like even let's say she surges in the last week and she gains 10 seats, but it's still a Ford majority, she's done. Mm -hmm. I think she's done. The only way she stays on is if she wins uh, the most seats, or she can become premier in a kind of like minority government situation. You know, when she leaves will be determined in part by, you know, majority, minority, how strong is the majority or minority, etc. Mm -hmm. But um, Del Duca, I think he's done. He's guaranteed to be done if he loses his seat. I think, yeah. I, you know, leaders sometimes stay on, but they'll, they'll knife him if that's the case. If he finishes third in seats, he's probably done. Um, if he finishes second... Some people are saying they'll give him a second shot. Like if he finishes second, but it's a Ford majority, 
uh, which is possible. Yeah, that's um, that kind of seen as a win a because they took it away from the NDP, yeah, but, right? But yeah. I still think he might get knifed for that yeah. because they'll have four years to they'll, they they can knife him early and then give the next leader another shot. Mm-hmm. If it's a majority, then you sort of know, right? Like yeah. if it's another Ford majority, like Horwath can kind of go, and you know you know that you got four years till the next election. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get caught out, you know, like caught out in, in the open, right? Liberals can might think the same thing. Who do you like, think would take that seat? Like, who do you think would not take that seat necessarily? But who do you think would take that role as Ontario NDP leader? Because I know, like, I'm just trying to think even publicly, anyone uh, provincially that's, uh, you know, member of the yeah. NDP caucus that has even a minority, like even a microcosm of the same sort of, you know, appeal or, or awareness as Andrew Horvath. I can't really think of anyone and we're pretty yeah, connected, right? So yeah, there's a lot of people that would throw their hat in the ring. You might yeah. see a merit style throw their hat in the ring. I mean, I think that's more of a discussion for after the election. Fair enough. But I mean, yeah. a few factors are going to be is like, yeah, a lot of the current MPPs will consider their run. This is not the only factor, but a factor will be like, do they lose their seat or not? Like it might be that the a person who uh, recently who, you know, just won their seat, kept their seat, might have a, a stronger claim. There's also the potential that some federal Ontario NDP MPs could jump down. Uh, mm. It's not, you know, not necessarily likely, but it's possible. So these are all things to, to maybe look at for later. But I do think that, you know, this is something that we have to look to because right now, Ford is Ford is going to win. Right? And Ford on that note, win. this idea that Ford is going to win and that this debate probably didn't really move anyone. And this is one of the most boring elections that we could ever have here. You know, I, I want to get into a topic that I know is being discussed on our discord. And again, if you want to join that patreon.com slash left turn Canada, just a buck a month and you can join us. Some really great, really smart people. there, much smarter than me talking about politics. And I, 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 this idea that even though Ford can govern the way that he has and commit so much just real like atrocities, real cronyism, like I think one of the issues that was uh, being pressed upon him is the fact that he never shares his schedule. And what, lo and behold, did we figure out last time he did share a schedule that he's meeting with some people that may have led to horrible decisions? Like, it, it's just it's so absolutely front-facing evil and just criminal with quotes alleged behavior that I saw when he was a counselor in Toronto when he had his little scion ship in Etobicoke with Doug Ford when I was working there as a reporter like that that idea of him being a maverick quote-unquote is just that old-school criminal politician sort of behavior anyway so all of that to say What is it going to take to push any sort of voter to vote against these sort of impulses and these sort of trends? Because it seems like ideology that we've seen, the the real policies that are being presented by the Liberal Party and the NDP really haven't moved that needle. And I think a lot of people listening, their first uh, impulse would be, obviously, we need to have much bigger and bolder sort of policies that will push people. And I know you spend a lot of time, Crystal, looking at these trends and, and how they're being represented and, and how it actually translates into movement. And I'm just wondering if you agree with that statement that if the NDP 
was bigger and bolder in this, you know, the the this campaign that it would translate into more actual seats. I don't know. Yeah. Right. In terms of flipping voters, the answer is maybe not. That's what it seems flipping like. Flipping right? voters, right? <laughs> like people already assume like look, here's the thing that we on the left, and we've said this to argue against the party. But we have to recognize when it'll be used against us, and rightfully so. <laughs> we often argue that people want socialism. People want bold socialist policies. I don't disagree. Keep in mind, however, and we've also said this when the NDP is timid or when progressives anywhere else in the world are timid, no matter what, they're going to call you a socialist. Mm -hmm. So if socialism is popular and the right wing always calls us socialists, why don't we just win by default? Right. And so we can't just assume that running to the left will convince conservative voters, especially, but even liberal voters to vote for us. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe you could make one argument, one, a, a, a folk, two arguments, one, a clear focus on economic justice could be that, that, that not, and not to the de-emphasis of social justice, like of, yeah. of, 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 of cultural issues, which I will but say, just, it seems to be the issue that I have found personally and anecdotally with the smaller, you know, communist party here in Canada, that that differential that you just mentioned, the economic injustice does come at the cost of social injustice. And I think that pushes people well, away. Yeah. Well, I mean, the communists will disagree and they, you know, they have a history of promoting civil. We're not going to get into a debate <laughs> on the co communist party. Although in Kingston, I will say shout out that they, that they have, I think for the first time since I've lived here, they've, they've gotten a communist on the ballot, which is good, good, you know, go. good for them. Uh, happy mm -hmm. to see their platform uh, looks, looks quite decent if I'm being honest. But yeah. the, the reality is that, um, you may, there's two arguments you can make. One, running on a left-wing populist platform could convince some conservative like, uh, voters that you actually give a damn about the working class. And, and that if you run on that economic populism, you will win those, 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 some of those disillusioned, those Ford voters that he's been lying to by giving them what they actually want. Yeah. Another option, and this may be an argument, is that there's a, a significant, whether we're talking federally or provincially, a significant amount of people who are orange, uh, who are, you know, uh, ABC voters, see themselves as ABC voters. And one of the reasons, I, I don't actually think this is a big contingent, but I've heard this argument, that one of the reasons there's ABC voters is because there isn't all that much of a difference between the ABC parties. Mm. That one of the reasons you can be an ABC voter is one, it's like because you don't want conservatives to win, but also you don't see a big difference between Horwath and Del Duca and Schreiner. And if you don't, then why not be strategic? If you believe the parties are similar enough, then why wouldn't you be strategic? Then you're just being vain, right? Yeah. You're just being partisan. <laughs> the argument hypothetically being that if the NDP went more to the left, they would be unmistakably distinct from the from the liberals especially, but then also the Greens, and then the ABC argument would falter because they would be they wouldn't be you know to vote for the NDP would not simply be a matter of who's best to stop the conservatives between the ostensibly identical orange green and red parties, 
but yeah. but making a distinct choice for a social democratic or democratic socialist party that's distinct. I don't know I don't about necessarily that, agree with like, that. Yeah, what do you think about that? Especially this election? Like, I think that almost holds up less than it has in many previous elections. I mean, look, I, I don't necessarily buy most of those arguments. I think yeah. the most effective argument, and I don't even know if this one would work, is a bolder, more socialist, more activist NDP would drive turnout. Mm. That is the the best argument you can think of. Let's look at the last... Um, since Horwath has become leader, I think she's run in, I think this is her fourth election, uh, I think, as ONDP leader. In 20, 2011, the turnout was 48%. 48 mm. More Ontarians didn't vote than did vote. Mm. The majority government would easily be didn't vote. In 2014, it was up a little bit, but still only 51.3% voted. In 2018, it was up quite a bit, to be honest, like, you know, turnout was up, but still under 57%. We don't know what turnout's going to be, obviously, for this election, but I don't know if it's going to skyrocket. And so, in, so. in essence, um, what we're looking at is turnout consistently in the last few elections well below 60%. And so one of the arguments you could make for the left is that it's not even about converting that many current voters that vote for the liberals or conservatives. Mm -hmm. Maybe you do need to convert some liberals, but fundamentally the biggest change you might want is to get those people that aren't voting to vote. That's where you find the success. And maybe that's the best argument for like a left-wing platform is that it actually gets those 40% of people who are disproportionately going to be younger and those sorts of things to actually come out and vote for you. That's the best argument I think you can make because I don't know if that flips that many Ford voters. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do like the, I do the, like the this, liberal voters yeah. that are willing to flip. I feel like maybe they're doing it for strategic purposes rather than purely ideological ones. Yeah. No, I, I do think you're touching on a very important factor here that I think is directly related to the NDP faltering a bit more in this election than they did in the previous that I and many people I know volunteered and, and took part and tried to help in the last Ontario election for the NDP. But I didn't make that choice now. And I know, especially in our little community here, there are dozens, if not hundreds of people just that we're aware of that have made the same sort of choices. And like you said, if you're never really going to win with people who have voted or, or, or certain type of uh, liberal voters and certain types of conservative voters, there just aren't enough people who currently vote that would mishmash in between. And the only way you're going to get them, like you're saying, is through that community activism, that sort of community work, that, that strong connection. And if you're not able yeah. to have a strong NDP platform that at least convinces people like you and I and people like members of our community here, our, our, uh, our Discord community, rather. Well, I don't even think it's about convincing us because, like, look, the amount... Not necessarily like, us, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, no, not no, no, but we have to be clear because there are some leftists who are like, I'm not going to vote for the NDP because they're not sufficient enough. And I should just touch on this. Last week, we sort of talked about the, the NDP changing their mind on the ODSP rates, and I said that people from the ODSP activist group should learn to take a win. That was probably perhaps glib of me. Uh, I don't want to suggest that, um, you know, uh, people should be happy with being 
quote unquote, in, 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 in you'll probably still be in poverty even with the ONDP yeah. green rates, if we're being honest. But to be in that super poverty for one more year. So I, I do want to uh, correct my statement on that. But the point is that it's not even about like people who are hyper engaged in politics, whether it's activist politics, labor politics, electoral politics, or a combination therein, who refuse to vote for the NDP because the NDP is insufficiently socialist. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a big portion of the population. Like, like yeah. maybe hypothetically. In no, a I, really agree. Close I, I agree. I yeah. agree with you, Crystal. I agree. And with most you, but of I'm... those people, yeah. But, but my point is like. You would need to find like the the the, the theory of the case mm -hmm. for how the NDP wins by going to the left. The theory is that you energize the forty percent plus of people that just don't give a fuck and like, enough to vote. Yeah, whether it's because they don't think the parties are different, whether it's you know that that they they don't see value in it, whether it you know all of those things. That's how you do it. Because again, I don't, I don't know, like the NDP goes more socialist. Does that win over a Ford voter? Maybe, maybe if you go really in on an economic populism, you win some of those blue orange switchers back. Yeah. Maybe if you really make a good, strong effort at being like a, a good social programs and you target it well, you could win a certain type of progressive liberal who is a strategic voter. But if you really make them like you, they'll vote for you. But I don't know if that's going to be enough to go from where the NDP is right now at, say, 22, 23, all the way to, say, the 37 they would need to win. Yeah. I think, honestly, the challenge right now is, like, the NDP needs to find a way of tapping into nearly half of the electorate that isn't an electorate right now. Mm -hmm. So Maybe do you think the they argument. do that, though? So, I, yeah, what I was trying to say is, do you think they yeah. do that more by getting people like that? engage and able to you know volunteers to actually work during these campaigns or is it just a matter of the the policies and the platforms that'll be more convincing because to me it seems like if the ndp did lose and it's so anecdotal and it's definitely not something you rely you know strategically on but if they did lose so many volunteers who maybe aren't as enthused and excited by you know the the party this year does that not mean that they're going to have less people working to try to get that 40 percent re-engaged like what do you think is the most effective way to get that 40 percent because to me it just it feels like getting those volunteers back and you know those community organizers back in it and just a you know a glut of people will make that an easier process but maybe i'm off base maybe that's not the most effective way to reach that 40% because like you said, it, it is kind of essential because it won't really happen any other way, will it? Well, there's a couple things here. I, I do think that one, losing you know, activists certainly makes it harder to, to, to drive your base and to drive new turnout. Um, I don't know if in this election it's the difference. Like, yeah. I don't know how many okay. percentage points. I don't think losing volunteers is worth 14%. Mm -hmm. Like losing, again... The amount of people that were willing to volunteer for the NDP six months ago, but no longer are because of specific decisions made by Horath leadership, is not hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, definitely not. It's just not. It's just not. <laughs> like, you know, it's just not, right? It's a small group. And I'm not yeah. trying to belittle that portion of the, which I, I'm guessing includes a not substantial portion <laughs> of our, or a, a non insubstantial portion of yeah. our listenership. Absolutely. 
but but they're but they're not representative of the average Ontarian. Which again, the average Ontarian barely votes. Mm-hmm. You have to remember this: that in the la- not the last provi- like in the last couple of provincial elections, more than forty percent of people didn't even bother to mark two lines on a piece of paper. Didn't yeah. bother to do it. Right? I'm not judging those people. I'm just saying, like that's the average. We have to remember the average person is a maybe on whether or not they'll mark two lines on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So we have to keep that in context, right? And so I think that there's a couple things here. Yeah, losing your activists, especially in close ridings, yeah, of course that matters. Uh, an activist is worth well more than one vote. You'll get their vote, but also every person they drive to the poll, direct to the poll, drop that mailer, the, you know, that 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 mailer, uh, that 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 uh, you know, mm-hmm. info sheet into their mailbox. Go to talk to them. Uh, make that phone call. Talk to their families, their friends. Make that donation, that $10 donation, which allows you to buy the Timbits to feed the kids yeah. that are making the phone calls that keep them there making, you know, all of these things. I don't know how you can quantify it purely objectively, but, you know, a volunteer is worth well more than one vote, 100%. Yeah. I don't know how many hours they have to do to add up to one vote type thing. I'm guessing you could... Maybe figure it out if you did like a, an analysis. Oh, of like I, a writing I guarantee some ghouls have, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, and maybe in like, you, you know, the political scientists have done an analysis of like what one dollar of donation is worth, yeah. what one hour of volunteering is worth, all of that. But it, it does matter 100%. I do think a big factor, and this gets into like what some people were saying, because David Moskrop, who is a yeah. uh, a political scientist, he's a writer, uh, and somebody who's 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 on the left. You know, has said, you know, one, he's very frustrated by the the lack of of holding Ford accountable in this election. But he also sort of said, you know, what does the left do going forward here? Yeah. You know, and and a lot of people in response to him, I think quite, quite, quite correctly in some ways, at least said, you know, community organizing is key. And I think it's key for a couple reasons. I think one, in some ways, you can organize in your community more directly and sometimes have more substantial, uh, you know, short term impacts and even medium-term impacts than you can through pure electoral politics in terms of tenants' rights, workers' rights, um, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, even things like community gardens and and yeah, and It's, and, it's and, what the Fords did to get that, ahead. Like, that's yeah, how they got ahead to begin with, yeah, right? You know, it's to do those things that, that make your community better. Mm-hmm. But those things could also help to engage people politically that for some people they might find partisan politics distasteful or fucking gross yeah uh, many people do again or they might feel intimidated by the process and maybe their entry into like understanding and participating in party politics is like you know food banks you know things at their local community centers um you know organizing playground cleanups um, you know, fighting for uh, donations for women's shelters, you know, domestic violence shelters, you know, things like that. Um, and those things bring people into politics. And I think in that sense, you know, local activism can help engage communities and maybe engage communities. I, in fact, I would be quite sure engaged communities have higher political turnout in, mm-hmm. in the voting process. And so maybe one of the ways you get that 70, 80, per, you know, get that turn 60% turnout into 80% or 90% turnout is by good grassroots political organizing. And nothing's a guarantee, of course, but I would suggest that all things being equal, if we could get close to 100% turnout, it would be better for the NDP. Yeah. 
right? That, like then be- that goes up against, even if you do all that and you do such a great job and you connect your politics with your community, which I think is so essential, you still have to go up with our system that makes, you know, that we talk about all the time, right? That, that almost ensures that if we had real electoral reform, most people, there's what was the stat that you had that like so many people would choose the NDP as their their second choice, and that would just that would have an impact. So even if you do all that, you know how do we fight against the system that is almost designed to beat down those communities that are trying to come together over shared ideology versus you know just a wave or a trend. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure about that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you would solve everything. I, I but I, yeah. I guess that is like that. I think that is the dis, the real disillusionment that is is really hard to fight. And I, I do understand people that were responding to David, as he said, for those that prefer to abandon the NDP and kind of electoralism yeah. in general, like that that does make sense. But I, I do think like with this system will not change. Unless we have a party that's willing to, to I mean, do I that, think, right? Like, yeah, it's like, well, because, you know, he made some points. Like, some people are like, well, we'll support uh, 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 other left-wing parties. And that, in some writings, at least, is an option. You know, I, yeah. I, I think some people thought it was glib, but I don't necessarily agree. Some people, like, you know, if you're a revolutionary socialist, like... Are you gonna get the guns? <laughs> like, like, no. Are you like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you, seriously though? Are you going to? You want to have a revolution? Are you willing to use violent force right now to achieve your ends? Like, are you willing to get the guns, the bullets, the bulletproof vests, and set up the barricades and start, you know, taking on law enforcement and politicians and to launch a revolution to violently overthrow the federal yeah. or municipal or provincial government. Like, I don't know if that's really a thing, but like, if you're a revolutionary socialist, maybe that's one of your positions. I don't think that's necessarily the immediate goal of any, 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 you know, organized uh, socialist wing in Canada. But like, I, I do think in some sense, you can't fully abandon electoralism. I think mm-hmm. one thing you can say is that uh, an obsession with electoralism can be limiting. I would never say abandon electoralism for a couple reasons. One, the right wing never abandons electoralism. Yeah, not at they all. Never do. They <laughs> never do. And again, one of the arguments I hear on the left, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on this podcast, but I've definitely mentioned it in other contexts, but you hear it a lot in the American context, which is that why should I vote? It doesn't matter. Voting mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And you'll often hear this colliery, it is colliery from a lot of people on the left in the United States which is if voting mattered, they would make it illegal. <laughs> like the elite would make voting illegal if it actually made a difference. What the fuck do you think they're trying to do? <laughs> Look what they tried to do to black people in yeah. particular, black people more than, but not just black people, Democrat, but any like the gerrymandering sent like trying to stop black people, Hispanic people, indigenous people, young people, poor people, all of those people from voting. And in general, trying to lower the, electoral uh dilute the electoral weight of the democrats Mm -hmm. why are they doing that because the right wing does understand that voting matters Mm -hmm. right so my like my argument is that but of course the right wing doesn't just do electoralism they pump a lot into media they still do grassroots activism they're active in the churches they're active in ethnic press so none of this is to say that electoralism in and of itself is sufficient but it is to say that, like, frankly, my argument is is that probably in every province but Quebec provincially, 
you should probably go and mark your ballot orange every election, even yeah. if that's the only thing you do. Honestly, that would be my argument. You go mark your ballot, ballot orange. Don't have to volunteer for the NDP as much necessarily. Like you volunteer in your community, but like don't don't abandon electoralism because the fucking boomers. Sorry if we. I know we have boomer listeners. I'm sorry. Certainly. Not all hashtag not all boomers, <laughs> but like the boomers don't not vote. Of boomers do lots it's of other fun. things, but they vote. And this is one of the arguments that Philippe Fournier from 338 is arguing. And this is big because it's not just that Ford is winning. It's that he's crushing it with the oldies. Yeah. Ford is rocking out with the oldies. The Two of the most recent polls. This is from a couple days ago, but these polls, like less than two days ago, from May 23rd. So you, two days maybe when people listen. Ipsos, when they polled people 55 and above, had 49 conservative, 28 liberal, 16 NDP, 4 green. And Abacus, when they polled 60 and above... 48 conservative, 26 liberal, 17 NDP, 3 green. And so in both of these cases, whether we're looking at 55 plus 60, but, but you know, in general, older boomer plus voters, basically. Mm -hmm. The conservatives are basically at, at an almost a true majority. They're almost at a true majority with these voters, hovering right around 50%. Now, these voters turn out more. So in addition to the fact that Ford is winning, likely to end up with a majority, if turnout is low, this is likely an even bigger blowout for Ford because he has the voters that vote more often. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so understand that, that fundamentally you can cry all you want about how the system doesn't represent you and blah, 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 blah. Conservatives still go out and vote. The Nazis... Who are like, oh, even the even the Pierre Polyevre is too centrist for us. Those people, by and large, will still go out and vote. Yeah. Right? Like, the right-wing votes because they understand it matters. Again, I don't want to belabor the point too much. People say this all the time. But it really it's really annoying. <laughs> you know, if, they, if voting mattered, they would make it illegal. Yeah. Well, you see what they do in the United States to black people, to poor people to Hispanic people, to young people, to students. Remember what they did to Bernie? It's not even a Republican. Remember what they yeah. did to Bernie with all the <laughs> all the all the, the the one polling station on a whole university campus, whereas the suburban areas where all the Biden boomers could go out and vote in three minutes, the the kids at, at your campuses all over, Bernie kids had to wait three hours to vote. They didn't want it. You know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. We like, saw that here federally. Yeah, in, we even saw that here federally yeah. to some degree. I, I don't want to suggest there's an equivalence yeah. Yeah, between not, American voter absolutely. suppression. and Canada. There isn't, at least yet. But like the reality is we have examples in our continent of people understanding that voting matters and they're trying to make it harder because they understand that there is at least, even, if, even within the narrow bounds of reformism, <laughs> voting matters. Because yeah. again, if it, voting didn't matter... Republicans would not be doing everything they could to stop black people from voting. Yeah. I've never heard a good counter argument to that. And I, voting I might not matter as much as it should. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't nearly matter as much as it should. But it matters enough that at least in our, our, the country that is probably most similar to Canada anywhere in the world, they will do whatever it takes to stop some people from voting because those people's votes do matter.
Yeah, I think a lot of that is also just people um, rebelling against, I think, the very simple notion. That's not what you're saying here at all. That, no. you know, you have to vote. If you don't vote, you're the problem. This is the reason. Oh, this yeah. Is well, happening. I don't like that idea. No, you know, like, I think, I think that. Dumb. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely what I think at least a small portion. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I hate that just, argument. Oh, if you don't vote, you can't complain. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Just like, no. oh, you didn't no. vote. So this Like, of course no. not. That's insane. No, but no, I, 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 I do think it's argument. important, Chris, so that we look at. You know, some of the successes of the conservative movement in the United States and here in Canada that we, I guess, haven't really seen from the leftist parties here. And I think that is a uniform sense of ideology, like almost a rigid, clear goal, a generational goal. As we talked about when in terms of overturning Rover's way that that lasted, you know, decades. And I don't think and it succeeded in that regard. You know, you you talked about how um, if they made the the old anecdote, if they made uh, voting illegal, if voting would be illegal, if it mattered at all. They don't have to do that. They will only actually change things until they're certain there won't be any blowback. You know what? Why have we not seen that same sort of unifying ideological project here in Canada and we definitely haven't seen it in the United States except for maybe you know, the Democrats you know fighting against progressivism maybe that yeah but I mean, like we I think haven't in Canada it's an interesting question because yeah. what's that for Ford what's Ford's oh, grand yeah. unifying ideology I don't know if that's as much the case in Canada right like yeah. I mean there is an anti-abortion movement in Canada but like they kind of try to hide them right like even mm. like Polly Everest kind of trying to avoid the issue um, you know, Stephen Harper, you know, tried to he basically had to bully his social conservatives uh, uh, into the corner at, at many points throughout his government. I don't know if the Liberal Party has one of those. That's a good question, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think, though, that like the left in Canada could use that. And like maybe one of the challenges that for a long time until recently, the, the NDP in much of the country was just full on neoliberal. Yeah. So, like, Jack Layton's defining campaign promise was, like, no ATM fees, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's, like, it's not even, like, one thing you could say right now, and I'm not saying it's done well enough yet, it certainly hasn't re- generated the results, is that, you know, a a, a a a drive, say, by all of the NDP sections, the federal and all the provincial, to, like, you truly make universal health care. That could be one of them. Yeah. Like, we already got some form of universal health care, and it's fine. Canadians love it. You know, it, it's got a lot of great stuff on it. This is a really good foundation, but we're nowhere near done. We need mental, we need dental, we need optical, we need, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm missing, pharmaceutical. Yeah, pharmacare. We need all, all of those things, right? We need all of those things, and until we get all of that done, and maybe more, we do not really have Tommy Douglas's dream completed. Mm-hmm. That could be one of them. Another one could also be climate change, I think, obviously, is another big one, is 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 to really build a kind of socialist vision, a Green New Deal, a New Democratic Deal, whatever they want to call it. That would be another one. But you're right. That would be one thing the left could look at is what's kind of some kind of grand unifying vision. But I don't know if the right in Canada, I mean, yeah, capitalism, neoliberalism, yeah. all of that. But there's nothing like... There doesn't seem yeah. to be anything like Roe v. Wade. You're right. There's that's nothing a great with the point. religious backing. backing yeah, there's nothing sort of like that in backing, Canada as yeah. much. Like Roe v. Wade, like uh, like as something that kind of unified 99% of the Republican Party and it drove them with the judges. Another thing in Canada is that our judiciary is not nearly as yeah. partisan. And so the Republicans, in addition to electing, you know, anti-abortion politicians, could always kind of say, like, we have to elect 
Republican presidents and senators because they get us the, the right-wing judges, and the right-wing judges are ultimately going to have to be the people that get us the Roe v. Wade ban, which they likely will succeed at in, you know, in the coming weeks. Of course, nothing's guaranteed, but that leak is probably going to come out mostly uh, the same way as a overturning of Roe. Um, I don't know, but that's a good point. That's a really good point. Well, I want to I want to end us off here, Christo, just with this the central question that was asked by David and hundreds of people answered. Yeah, uh, is for those that do prefer to abandon the NDP. You know, do, I think it's important right now that we try to just as we're ending off here, look at the idea of is it possible? Is it likely and is it possible first that the NDP can actually be a democratic? socialist party here in Canada, because I think that would kind of be a theory of change that does not require the abandonment of the NDP and, you know, maybe moving to the Greens or a lot of people talking about the Communist Party or just leaving politics altogether. That's not what we're suggesting here, because our enemies are certainly not leaving politics. That's not happening. So there, there needs to be some kind of unifying push. Do you believe that the NDP could change into that and you know what is there but is that even likely i mean the ndp can be a democratic socialist party yeah. um you know whether that on its own is going to lead us to victory or not is another thing but i definitely think like you know right now what does the ndp get 16 17 percent of the vote federally mm-hmm. that yeah 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 16 that did that say 20 percent of canada is currently democratic socialist probably maybe more yeah i mean you're still dealing with a lot of the issues you're dealing with which is that um, you know, driving turnout amongst the people that would be interested in you. Maybe you lose some of the more moderate NDP voters to other parties. There might be liberal voters right now that are that, that again, we've talked about this. There are liberal voters that just that want the NDP platform. Yeah, they just want the entirety <laughs> of it without exception. They, they, they want the but this vote liberal out of inertia or out of strategy. Does being more democratic socialists win those people over? Maybe some, but maybe not enough. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that like, look. In the last 20 years, the NDP has tried, like, like Singh, Singh isn't as left-wing as we want him to be, yeah, but he's no, more no. left-wing than Leighton was, and he's mm. more left-wing than Mulcair was. And his polls are kind of the same as most of those guys' elections. Like, <laughs> you can take out the anomaly of Leighton 2011, right? Like, you know, and like, like you know, there's, there's like, I'm not saying that, don't, don't look at that, but like, you know, 2011 is obviously a, a, a standout, right? But in tw- 2008... Uh, you know, Jack Layton got uh, not really running on a, a hefty ideological platform. I would say, got eighteen percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, two thousand eleven, we're running on bank fee cuts, got thirty one percent of the vote. I don't know, like Mulcair, <laughs> uh, running on some decent stuff, but certainly not as left as as unabashedly progressive as Singh. You know, got twenty percent of the vote basically, yeah. and Singh in the most recent election. You know, on running on the most left-wing NDP platform we've seen since at least the early 90s, got 18%. So I don't know. I don't know what that tells us. Yeah. I think what it is to say is that, like, the NDP is already branded as democratic socialist. Uh, and so you might as well be that. And I agree yeah. with you on that. But I don't <laughs> think that it's, like, simple. Like, the NDP runs on the right platform and we win next time. Yeah. I don't know. I think we honestly, all other things being equal, maybe we end up mostly where we are. I don't know. But maybe it's worth it. Because a couple things. One, like there's a moral imperative to run on the things you believe in Mm -hmm. and the things that you feel this country needs and the people of this country need. 
Another argument could be that the liberals, especially in 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 in, in uh, federal, like they sort of peg themselves to be, you know, uh, to siphon strategic votes from the left. They have to still kind of be in touch with the left. Hypothetically, not a guarantee. Maybe if Singh in the NDP or Horwath in the NDP go more to the left, that will pull the Overton window to the left, which means that the liberals in their effort to pretend to be left mm. will have to be more left than they're currently left. If that makes any sense, yeah, right? No, like, I, I, I think like, it does. Like, like we've if, seen if that the, NDP, if the, the right. NDP is like, we're going to really tax the rich and we're going to really expand these things, then the liberals to kind of be in touch with that to the broad, largely pro the social democratic electorate would have to be more to the left. It happened with the right wing of in Canada and in the United States. So why wouldn't it happen with the left? Right? Yeah. Like they definitely pushed more to the right. I mean, there are factors, changed. right? The corporate media, blah, blah, yeah. blah, but no, yeah, but, yeah. but, but, but no, but I think that's like, that's one argument you could make. Certainly that like, it's the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do. Uh, that if the NDP really wants to play their role, which is as like transforming politics, not just election to election, but generation to generation, Maybe you more meaningfully do that by, um, by running uh, to to the left, and 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 forcing the liberals to match you, uh, and the liberals have to make a choice: do they stay where they are and lose more votes to the NDP? Because maybe there are some strategic voters who um, are are willing to vote strategically, but not when one party is clearly better in their eyes to the other. Mm. Uh, but um, who knows, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That, that's one argument you could make. I think. Yeah. That, that. But. 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 By and large, um, I. I don't know if simply. I mean, look, we've talked about this. Like, I think the NDP, if they were better on that student loan policy, that probably wins them more votes. Um, and those really close ridings in Toronto, maybe they win one or two more seats. But um, I definitely think that, uh, if we just go beyond strategy, go beyond the polling. Like the NDP should be more left wing, not necessarily because it'll be better or worse for the party seat total, but because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think the argument you make, the more effective argument is that whether or not that leads to a substantial increase or decrease in votes, it will lead to a better political discourse. Yeah. And it will lead to ideally just better lives for people like we as much as we did criticize and many people did the uh the federal agreement between the ndp and the liberals like that did make lives of canadians demonstrably better with very key things so as much as we do want to win and we do want in this overton window to change and you know politics in this country to change right now it's still very important that we have progressive victories as small as they may be, because it is so easy to join that 40% of people that don't want to be engaged in politics, that simply are not able to because of the realities of life, that because they're not being spoken to or being helped in any sort of way. But as long as you still celebrate that and try to bring those those smaller victories ahead, it's not something that we just disregard and and say, you know, that it's it's not enough. Like it does need to be engaged. One of the the biggest answers, the most common answers, right, as I saw to this question uh, that David asked, was the idea that you can, you know, st- quote unquote, disengage with electoralism if you know you can't take it anymore. You know, like no one's going to fault you you for that. But this idea that you still need to have like your politics have some sort of meaning because it, it it does matter. The idea that you could 
as a worker, try to push harder and harder for representation and unionization and, you know, co-ops in those ways. I think that is a, a strong effort that a lot of people who are on the left that are not feeling as engaged with the NDP can do that will still lead to, you know, more progressive politics eventually. Like, I, I do think they all these things do kind of come to the middle. But I guess, yeah, yeah. that's my, my overall, the most yeah. important thing I want to say is no just one, that... No one should have to do anything that, like, like you, you yeah. got to take care of yourself, your mental health. I still yeah. think that people should endeavor to vote. Yeah. And I wonder almost even if, like, especially if you're part of a demographic that, quote-unquote, doesn't vote, it's almost worth to go in and spoil your ballot. So politicians yeah. think, oh man, these these young people are going and actually voting, right? Like I don't know, right? Like, no, but certainly. like, yeah, no one, no one should, um, no one should, um, should feel compelled to like get involved in party politics. It's not for everybody. It's yeah, it's you really can not. still do, you can still yeah. create that yeah. progressivism in your yeah. life, even more, uh, perhaps even more directly if yeah, you're able more, to more do effectively in some way cases, more effectively it, yeah. in a lot of and, cases. And also again, as we noted and, and like, you know, it's not always the case, but I think it is probably more often than not people who, you know, communities that have good social activism that likely creates the, the context in which there's more electoral mm. political involvement, even if it's not, people becoming partisans it's that people are aware of what's happening in their community they're probably more likely to go cast a ballot you know yeah. In, yeah. in 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 the municipal provincial federal elections again wealthy people already have these sorts of things uh, there's a reason why again one of these things if voting didn't matter why if voting mattered they would make it illegal why are the richest people the most likely to turn out yeah because rich people know voting matters right there you like, go they're, yeah and and like you know community activism uh, I, I think it has a fundamental good in and of itself, in some cases more than electoral involvement, uh, but it can actually have good spinoffs, almost like investing. Mm -hmm. You can almost invest in better electoral outcomes, I would say, through good community involvement. All right. So I think we went a little over this week. So worth you're, it. You're welcome, folks. Actually, a lot of <laughs> a lot of ground here. And I do I do think if you're you're listening to all this and you're you're foaming at the mouth because there's something about this that you didn't think we cover, please, you know, send us a message. We have every way that you can get to us, whether you are part of our community, you do it on Discord, on Twitter, uh, send over an email because I I think we both understand that this is a, a difficult time to have your politics kind of be disregarded in a way where it's so required because of our material circumstances. Like, like it, it's no longer a joke. It's, it's no longer just people asking for, for silly things. Like the, the, it's an existential crisis that just gets worse and worse. And, uh, yeah, I thank you all for listening. The next week will be our final show before the Ontario election. And then we'll probably do one right after things are called just a quick hit. Cause we like to do that. So if you, uh, yeah, make sure you, you watch for that and we will see you in a week.